0: be seated. Thank you all for being here. Skylar. that was beautiful. Great job. I know I say it a lot, but really thank you all for coming out here and supporting the young people. It does mean a lot to them to have you all here. They don't get up here for you all, they get up here for the Lord, but it's nice to have somebody out here. So thank you all so much for being here. If we have any guests. We're glad that you're here come on back when it's not you service meet our pastor he's a great fella and uh keep on coming back okay all right um i'm gonna read from luke 9 23 and it's really really short and it says and he said to them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me thank you for standing you may be seated Kaiser, will you pray over the message, please? Amen. Thank you, Kaiser. Isn't he awesome? I'm going to miss him when he goes to college. I might have to follow him. Make sure he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. (laughs) Um, I love series. I love teaching on series. And upstairs right now, we are in the middle of a series titled, Not a Fan. And we've been doing this for several weeks now. And it does a deep dive into what it takes to transition from being just a fan of Jesus and going all in. Becoming the follower he has called us all to be. And it's been a phenomenal series so far, with the Lord showing up and challenging us. However, I don't think being a follower is just something that the youth are called to do. I think we're all... We are all called or urged to go deeper with Christ, so I felt led to share a portion of what we've been learning upstairs down here with you all tonight. And so the message of my title is "Come and Die." <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> you can sell almost anything at a yard sales, at a yard sale, a garage sale, and online. And just the other day, for those of you that are connected to me on Facebook, I shared a post of someone selling a. Slightly used casket. (laughs) It was a real post. That's the thing. But no matter what you're selling, there are two keys to closing the sale. The first is naming the right price, and the second is using the right words. For example, someone wanting to sell a car probably isn't going to sell it this way for sale. 99 Plymouth Breeze, 500 bucks. This car runs okay, and the tires are pretty new, but that's about it. It has no radio, the acceleration is sluggish, the clutch is sticky, and the back hood door latch doesn't work. You have to prop it up with a stick. It gets between 10 to 15 miles per gallon in general. It's an American car made during a time when American cars were built very poorly. The 500 price quoted above is just because all my friends tell me that a running car must be worth at least $500. I suppose I'll bargain with you to lower the price. Nobody's going to buy that car. (laughs) But here's what we do. We take the same car and we spruce up the ad. It's the same car at the same price, but it's marketed a little bit differently. Here's what the new ad says. I try to make sure I picked a car nobody had. (laughs) Plymouth Breeze. With nearly new tires, this car really holds the road. An empty space is available, allowing you to put in the the stereo system of your choice. With acceleration like this, you won't have to worry about getting pulled over. A special stick is included at no additional cost that conveniently props up the back hood. When you buy this American-made car, you're supporting our country and the freedom we enjoy. We'll sacrifice for $499.99. I think it's pretty clear which one will sell. We see companies take that approach every day with everything from tires to toothpaste. In business, we're told that if you want to be successful, you start by laying out an effective marketing campaign. A good marketing campaign relies on two major things, a slogan and a symbol. Slogans and symbols capture what the company does, who they are, what their goals are. But you can't just choose any slogan or any symbol. They have to be attractive. They have to make people want your product. Companies use those things to attract customers. The idea is that people will see your symbol and hear your slogan and think to themselves, that's what I've been looking for. I want to be a part of that. The right slogan doesn't just bring your company to a customer's mind, but it can also create desire for the product. Nike wants to create a desire for their product. So what's their slogan? Just eat it? No, it's just do it. Nike also wants to show that their customers are active. So instead of just saying, just do it, they have a symbol to go with it. Symbols or logos are supposed to be cool. They're supposed to be trendy. They're supposed to be memorable and appealing. And so what does Nike have? They have a swoosh the swoosh represents speed agility and motion it embodies what nike stands for just do it man john is on it tonight and don't just do it but do it well do it fast do it like no one else does just do it and that's how a marketing plan is supposed to work the power of a good slogan is that all you need to do is say it and the product comes to mind if i say like a rock what comes to mind what what Chevy, right? (laughs) You've never heard rock Strong? Okay, (laughs) nothing. If I say melt in your mouth, not in your hand, what comes to mind? M&M. If I say so easy a caveman could do it, what comes to mind? Lyco. There he is but that's how marketing works those things unless you've had a bad experience with them brought feelings of pleasure I can honestly say I've never seen a person give a bad look at the thought of an M&M unless it's been rolling around on the floor and even then not always in fact who likes M&M who doesn't love a good M&M who loves an Uh, (laughs) M&M I never thought I'd get Elena on the platform. Woo! <laughs> that took y'all a minute. Sometimes you just have to get what you want. Okay, you got to grab it. But it's true. When I say M M&M, and M, some of you started to smile. That's how marketing works. That's how business is, businesses businesses advertise. That's how slogans and symbols come together. And so now that we now that we've had a crash course in marketing. Now that we're all pros, we're going to do some consulting. Looking at what we know about marketing and advertising, we're going to look at Jesus' marketing plan. We're going to take a look at Jesus and his definition of a follower. We've read it before, and I'm going to read it again. 9.23 says, And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That sentence summarizes what it means to follow Jesus. But it's too long for a slogan. So here's what happens when we try to break it down into just a few words. When you break it all down, everything that Jesus says basically comes down to this. Come and die. Jesus' slogan, his marketing plan, his selling point is come and die. Talk about a buzzkill. Jesus takes the concept of marketing and he turns it entirely on its head. Come and die does not sell. Can you imagine Olive Garden putting out an ad campaign and instead of saying, come and dine, they begin to say, come and die? I have a feeling that they might lose a few customers. Now, if you were to go to the Waffle House, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. Eating there is like skydiving. You kind of take your chances. It's a risk, okay? <laughs> we say it's okay. I'd rather enjoy my last few moments by stuffing my face <laughs> with Waffle House. Oh, Lord. But come and die just doesn't feel as warm as fuzzy as melt in your mouth, not in your hands. It doesn't make you laugh like so easy a caveman could do it. But it does do one thing. It catches our attention. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And we don't like to talk about death. That's one of my fears. I don't ever talk about it. We avoid it at all costs. We don't even like the word death. When someone close to us passes away, we say exactly that. They passed away. We don't say they died, we say they passed on. They've gone ahead. We've lost them. They're no longer with us. And as far as marketing is concerned, Jesus's slogan tanks. But that's okay. Maybe he can still save it. We've heard his slogan, but the symbol can't be too bad, right? When defining a follower, he says, "Take up thy cross and follow me." Think about it. Take up his cross. That's the part we're focusing on. His cross. Jesus had an awful slogan, but his symbol is even worse. Jesus uses an instrument of torture, of pain, and of death as the image that represents followers of Jesus. It's the equivalent of starting a company and having a picture of an electric chair or a noose printed on all your business cards. Somebody handed me a a business card with a noose on it. I hang on to that business. Jesus had quite a few other symbols he could choose from. Why not a dove? That was the symbol that showed he was the son of God. Why not a shepherd's staff? After all, he is the good shepherd and also ties into Moses and David. Why not a rainbow, a sign of hope and promise? An olive branch, a symbol of peace. Why not a flame? He shall baptize you with holy ghost and with fire. Jesus has options, yet he chooses two bloody beams nailed together. And we've tried to make the most of it. We try to clean up the cross, we try to market it, we buy crosses and we hang them on our wall, we use them to decorate, but we miss the point. In Jesus' day, the invention is to take up a cross. The inv- invitation to take up a cross would have been offensive. It would have been repulsive. History tells us that even the word crucifixion would cause people to become sick and throw up in the street. The cross to those in Jesus' time would be akin to the swastika in the 40s and even through today. I was telling somebody I was going to put that up there and they're like, what? People got nervous when I was going to put that up there because it's an offensive symbol. That's what the cross was to those in Jesus' time. Why did he choose that to be his symbol? Number one, the cross was a symbol of humiliation. Crucifixion sent a message that the person being crucified was nothing. In our lives, we must do the same thing with Jesus. We say he must increase so that I must decrease. We make ourselves nothing and we give him total control. Another reason is the cross was a symbol of suffering. And this isn't a popular opinion, but following Jesus will always cost you something. There is no easy way to carry a cross, and unfortunately, there's no easy way to live for Jesus. It will always cost you something. And number three, it identifies us with his death. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 31, Paul writes that he died daily. And in that verse before and in the verse after, he refers to the things that he suffered. And he said he died daily. He was constantly put in harm's way. But he was willing to do it because he wasn't living for himself. He was living for Jesus. It's interesting to point out that Jesus specifically said that we are to take up our cross Daily. Deciding to follow Jesus isn't a one-time decision. It's one that we make over and over and over again. We have to get up every morning and say, let me pick up this cross. Let me live for Jesus. We have to do it every day. Lastly, the cross symbolizes our commitment. The Roman cross was by far the most hated symbol of Jesus' day. And so it's no accident that Jesus takes the most vile, most despised thing that his people knew of. He takes the thing that they hate the most and he asks, would you be willing to go through this for me? Would you be willing to identify with this for me? Because if, they're, if they were willing to identify with a cross, they'd be willing to stand against anything that came their way. In Romans, Romans is my favorite book. In Romans chapter 8. In verse 37, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. And then it says what you're going to go through. And it says, Life, death, angels, principalities, powers, present, things that are going to come, height, depth, any creature, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. They made up in their minds that when they took up the cross, And they were taking up all these other things. That it was worth it to live for Jesus. My paper's sticking. Why are there so many instances where Jesus preaches some of his hardest sermons. While being surrounded by multitudes of people. It's because Jesus didn't care about the size of the crowd. He cared about the size of their commitment. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is not that if you follow him. Everything is going to go well. And everything is going to work. The good news, the gospel of Jesus says that you get him and he's enough. He's enough no matter what circumstances come your way. Now we say, no, I don't like that. I don't know if I want to believe that. Give me my Tesla. Give me my prosperity. Give me everything that the world has to offer. I don't want to suffer for Jesus. Well, the Bible says that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived. That's in the Bible. And it's not just in the Bible. It's the Bible quoting Jesus. Jesus said that John was the greatest prophet that ever lived. So John's the greatest prophet, and he finds himself in prison. And he's not there because he did anything wrong. He's there for doing things right. He told King Herod he needed to stop what King Herod was doing with his sister-in-law. And Herod was like, and threw him in jail. And John sends a message to Jesus, and he says, Are you the one? Because quite honestly, things are going bad for me. Jesus talks to these disciples, and he tells them to take a message back to John. Then he immediately begins to quote select verses from the book of Isaiah that talk about what would happen when the Messiah comes. He tells him that the blind will see, that those who were lame would walk, that the poor would be ministered to. Now the next part to that whole uh, scripture is that the captives would be set free. Jesus quotes everything, but he leaves that part out. Why? Because he knows John won't be set free. He knows John will die in prison. Yes, John, I'm the one, but you're not getting out of here. John gets the message because he knew scripture. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And John could have said, but I've been obedient. I've been doing good things. I just kind of figured that things would have been, that things were going to work out for me. The more I put in, the better off I'll be. I thought I'd at least get a book deal, something like my cousin, the Messiah, or the sandals that couldn't be unloosed. Where's my Tesla? Where's my mansion and my boat? But John doesn't do that. And here's why. Knowing Jesus is the one, even if it doesn't get him out of prison, is enough. No matter where you are, it doesn't matter if you've been in the church for five days. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church for five years. If you feel like it's been 500 years, Jesus is enough. And that's the core message of the gospel. It's not about getting blessings. blessings. It's not about investing in our futures. It's not about getting something out of the deal. It's about getting Jesus. And he is enough for you. So if you'll stand. As Christians, we like to look at Hebrews 11 and we like to to take walks through the hall of faith, uh, the fame of faith. And we like to read about the heroes who did all these amazing things because of their faith in God. And we like to focus only on the first three fourths of that chapter. And we kind of skip over the end because right before it ends, Hebrews 11 begins to talk about people who were just as faithful at the people at the beginning, but things didn't work out. Things ended badly. And here's the thing. The message of Hebrews 11 isn't follow me and my life will be perfect. It's follow me and he'll be enough no matter what comes your way. It's not popular. We don't want to hear that. We like to have our ears scratched. We like warm and fuzzy, but it's true. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is enough no matter what. And having him is so worth it that we're willing to take up the cross. We're willing to die out to ourselves, to die out to our desires, to where the cry of our heart is, all I want is you. I used to think people were crazy when they say I'd give anything just to be with this person. But that's the language of a follower. That's the language of someone that's so in love with that other person that everything else just pales in comparison. We need to be willing to say, Jesus, all I want is you and you are enough. If come and die gets me closer to you, then come and die it will be. If two bloody slabs are the way to get to you, then two bloody slabs it will be. You are enough. Jesus is enough. And that's why we need to be willing to take up the cross daily. Come and die. Take up the cross and follow him. So I want to invite you to come up to these altars and if you feel like you don't have that relationship with the Lord, you can get it today. If you feel like there's a cross that you need to pick up, I encourage you to come to the front and pick up that cross. If there are some things that you need to speak to him about, I encourage you to come up here and to do that.